So in the last two weeks, uh, three different people that I had the chance to talk to, all of whom don't really have a church home, so most likely you don't know them, they all expressed a concern to me as, as I was talking with them about clothes, like what clothes should they wear if they were to come to church? Um, and they feel the following. One, one person said, I don't have any nice clothes, so when I come, I just don't really feel like... I can fit in. I always feel out of place because of my clothes. Another person said, I felt judged before because I wasn't wearing nice enough clothes. And then a third person said, I just don't know what to wear. Like, I'm afraid I'll show up and everybody will look this way and I didn't get the memo and I'll stand out. And each time, like, i just so sad internally because, uh, you know, you can you can wear anything. It's just as long as you wear something, you, you'll fit right in. Um, but it's, it's so sad to me. Uh, and I just wanted to share that to say, and this is helpful. It was a helpful reminder to me. Uh, who knows? Like, who knows what the unchurched person is thinking? Who knows? Like, what is holding them back from just taking that step to, to check out a church and, and then I, I asked that. It's kind of a rhetorical sounding question, but I answered it. I, I asked it and I thought, you know, there's, there's two answers. God knows. God knows exactly what's holding them back. Even if clothes is just like a cover up for what's really holding them back. Um, but often the unchurched person knows as well. So my, my takeaway from that experience is it's really good to talk to them. Talk to God <laughs> who knows and talk to the unchurched person uh, because they, they often have at least somewhat of an idea. And, and then I, I just thought, well, let's just start the message this way. Is there a dress code biblically for church? James 2. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He writes to, to the church. He says, My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism, then he says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then he, he goes to show how great of an offense this favoritism is. He says, listen, brothers and sisters, hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world, poor to human perception? And God chose those people to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that God promised those who love him. But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into, into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So he's saying there's this double standard in the church there. Uh, James, James was involved in the church at Jerusalem, and he's, he's saying there's this double standard where you're, you're treating the privileged people of society with great honor, even though those same privileged people are discrediting, dishonoring the name of Jesus whom you claim to love. There, there's, a, there's a disconnect. You shouldn't be living this way. And then he says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you know, treating some people with favor because they, they look good or they have this certain prestige and treating others differently, you sin. And, and, and when you sin, you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And then verse 10 
is kind of the mic drop verse. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And so apparently dress has been for, for millenniums now a, a historical problem in, in the church. And uh, the Bible describes the church, we're studying the church, the Bible describes the church as a place where the unlikeliest, the unlikeliest of connections are found. Where older generations and younger generations actually have deep and meaningful connection and friendship. Where, where introverts and extroverts find this common ground in, in Christ. Where the girliest of the girly girls and the tomboys are, are, are deep friends. People of competing cultures, bosses and employees, you know, things that you would think, oh, that's just awkward to kind of like share life together. But no, it, in the Bible, it says Jew and Gentile, people who have so much in, in, indifference to each other, they come together over King Jesus. So there's no smooth sailing promised, but there is peace that can bridge any gap available. And so the real, the real dress code, what's, what's the, the real dress code is, is this. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13 says. And, and this is difficult because our, our tendency as humans is we compare our insides, what we're feeling, what we know about ourselves, we compare our insides to other people's outsides. Hence the whole thing about dress code and how good someone looks or whatever. We, we know how we feel we know what we've done. We know what we've thought. And we compare our insides to their outsides. But God is after a dress code of the heart. And so I just want to say I'm proud of this church because we don't have the informal, you know, like hush-hush dress code. I, I, don't, see, I don't see that judgment happening. Um, and, and I also want you to know I'm not proud of this church because we have nicer seats now than we had a few weeks ago. I'm not proud because we have more rocks in the driveway. <laughs> it's silly. I mean, those things matter because the people matter. We, we, want, we want our facility to serve people, but ultimately we want people to become more and more like Jesus. And, and that's where I see us heading uh, our last two years together. Um, and so I just want you to know I'm proud of you and as best I can tell, Jesus is proud of you and who we are, who we are becoming as a people together. So, yeah, rather than the church being known by like, oh, there's this club of people who dress up nice together on the weekends and they exchange nice platitudes. What if the church was known as a place of people who became more like the suffering servant? as we become suffering servants in our lives. And, and I'm not saying you have to spill your guts to Facebook and to everyone in this room. I'm, I'm not saying that, but today we're gonna talk about suffering, suffering well. And I think that uh, as you let people into your suffering, you're, you're both vulnerable and you're at risk of being hurt, but you also have this great opportunity, we do, each one of us, no matter what your suffering is, we have this opportunity to display a, a picture of Jesus to the world that the, that the church biblically is meant to display. So 
we're going to pick up where we left off kind of last week. And here, here's the overview of last week. Um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't leave this one. So we, we saw last week that as we live faithfully, the church displays God, God's manifold wisdom. Manifold is like holding a diamond up to the light. and It's got all these different facets of glory, all this different beauty that just radiates forth. So, so the church displays God's manifold wisdom to angels and demons. It's like this is greater than any sci-fi that you've ever seen. And it's true. It's true. But this, I'll read the passage. This is just the overview. Uh, displayed to the heavenlies, it's in accordance with the gospel, in accordance with God's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ. And this is displayed through suffering, Paul says, don't be discouraged because of my suffering. He says, for you, my suffering is for your glory, Paul says. So we're going to dive deep into that third point today. So let's read the passage. Uh, If you'd stand with me as we read God's word. I guess I'll read it. You can just follow along. (laughs) For this reason, verse 1 of Ephesians 3, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which God carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him, faith in Jesus. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my suffering, at my tribulations, on your behalf, they are your glory. So you can be seated. Thanks. And so, like I said, we're going to zoom in. We're going to zoom in on verse 13, uh, starting with the therefore. Uh, therefore, Paul says, I ask you not to lose heart because of my suffering, my tribulation on your behalf, they're your glory. So suffering biblically is is not something that we should run away from. It's also not something that we should run towards. Uh, Suffering is something that we are called to walk through and called to walk through together. So what I want to do today is to, I I want to give us some time to identify and then process through the ways that we suffer. Because I'm convinced every single person in this room suffers in some capacity right now and will suffer as we continue to go through life. So here's, here's, some, here's some potential sufferings. Uh, if you're single, you can be suffering from loneliness. If you're married, you could be suffering from loneliness. Sing, you could be single and feeling left out or behind. Singleness could be one of the ways that you suffer. Uh, I know there's people who suffer from health. Health is a, is a form of suffering. There's pain involved in that. Job, your, your work can be a form of suffering if you don't enjoy it and if you feel stuck there. Uh, if you're unappreciated or if you work with difficult people, <laughs> you might like your job, not like the people around you, and you are suffering as a result. Children are a gift from the Lord, but man, they can induce some suffering. <sighs> They're a ton of work. They're a ton of work. Any relationship in your life, you could be suffering from conflict, from past hurts. Uh, Worry can be a form of suffering. What is it that troubles your mind? Just think about 
what you complain about, what you wish were different. And, and it might even be self-induced. Like sometimes we suffer because we made poor choices and, uh, and, and we suffer as a result of those choices. But I want to give you a minute. Um, if you're taking notes or if you just want to start taking notes uh, with this, I'm going to give you a minute of silence to write down a few different ways that you suffer. It might be something I mentioned. It might be something I didn't. But I'm going to give you a minute to, to just write this down. And you can flip it over. I mean, no one around you is going to look over your shoulder. Okay, we're, we're all focused on our own <laughs> thing right here. So um, I'll give you a minute to write uh, what are some ways that you've suffered. You can continue these exercises we're going to do later uh, if you don't have enough time right now. But uh, I just want to say, as you, as you process and as you identify these things, you'll probably feel a tendency to want to avoid it, run away from it, um, or just, you know, like man up and just run through it. Th this is something God's calling you to walk through and not alone. Not alone. Again, you don't have to share it with everybody but you need a few heart friends to walk through these things together. And no matter what it is, um, this can be used to glorify God and bless other people. Just because something's hard doesn't mean that it's bad. Hard just means hard. We often think hard means bad. We often feel like hard is bad, but hard just means hard. Good is good, bad is bad, hard is hard. And we see in verse 13 that Paul's attitude, Paul's attitude in verse 13 and elsewhere is I'm not going to waste my suffering. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Instead of saying, I'm a prisoner, it stinks. He said, no, I'm actually, I'm Jesus's prisoner. And I'm Jesus's prisoner for your sake. So if, that's, if, if being a prisoner in Paul's mind is what it takes to bless you and to follow Jesus, sign me up to be a prisoner. Paul didn't want to be a prisoner, but he was that intent on following Jesus and blessing 
the people around him. Paul said, I'm not going to waste my suffering. I'm not going to waste my suffering. So what might it look like to engage hardship, to engage difficulty for the good of another like Paul did? I think the first, the first framework that we have to have is we have to acknowledge that suffering is changing us. Suffering will change us. It affects who I am and, and who I am, like my character, that affects other people. That just comes out. So you might say, I don't like this. I wouldn't choose this. But you have to acknowledge this is changing me for good or for bad. And I have the opportunity to learn in this, in this hardship to become a more patient person, to become a kinder person, become a more joyful person. This is challenging your trust in God. And it has the opportunity to deepen your convictions. So I'm not saying you have to like it, but you must believe that God is offering you a unique opportunity in the midst of suffering. And so... Take a look at your card again and, and, and just ask yourself, honestly, in what ways has, this, has the hardship been changing me? Like, it, if it's not good ways that it's been changing you, be honest and just say, you know, down arrow, <laughs> this way it's been changing me. Um, so I'm going to give you about another minute to, to process and pray with God. Uh, how has this hardship been changing you? Okay, we're going to go to the second point. Um, what might it look like to engage hardship for the good of another's? Um, I, I believe that engaging hardship, uh, it'll give you a story to tell. And even if you're in the middle of a story, like the middle of engaging hardship, you still have a story that's in the works. And people, you, you can invite people in to that story. And in so doing, you can really encourage them. Uh, it can really be for their benefit. Just like Paul said, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings. They're your glory. They're for your benefit. And Paul, Paul did this again in 2 Corinthians. He tells about a time that he was in Asia and he despaired even of life itself. He was in great despair. He, he was basically wishing that he was dead, but he experienced God 
It wasn't the end of the story there in his despair. He experienced God in the midst of it, and he received this comfort that, that God taught him, you can share this comfort from me with other people, no matter what their suffering is. And so our suffering gives us a story that we can share and invite others into. And so we, we've talked before about how the good life is found in Jesus, and that's just because Jesus himself is the good life. We can lose the rest of life, we can lose all of our stuff, and we can still be confident that if we have Jesus, we have the best life possible. And so look at your card um, and, and, and think about what is the story that you have to share, whether it's being completed or whether it's a past one that has completed, and, and who are you sharing that story with, the story of how God has comforted you in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering. And the last way um, that hardship can be used for the good of another is our hardship always invites us to connect us to the grand story, to the, the story of Christ, the gospel. This is both how we come to know God initially, and this is also how we grow. It, the gospel both introduces us to Christ and it, it leads us into growth in Christ. And the gospel is this, that God became a man and he suffered. He suffered the punishment that we deserve for our sin so that in the risen Christ, in the resurrected Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And so 1 Peter 4 says it this way, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, he's talking to believers, arm yourselves also with the same attitude that you will suffer in your body because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That's part of God's process to refine us. And yeah, we'll, we'll never be completely done with this process in this life, but if you, wanted, if you want to know Jesus better, you can. Arm yourselves with this attitude that it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a war. It's going to be a daily grind. And then verse 2, he says, As a result, those who arm themselves with this attitude of no matter what it takes, Jesus, I'm moving towards you. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So it's this replacing of our desires, giving up our lesser, weaker, uh, not honorable, selfish desires for the right desires, the bigger and better godly desires. And, and this, is our, this is part of God's process is using our suffering to move us in that direction. And just because we suffer doesn't mean we're going to become more like Jesus, but it sure is an invitation to move that direction.
So last, last time uh, to take a look at your card and I'll give you a moment to reflect on how this hardship might connect you to the gospel and again, change who you are to become more like Jesus. How, how can this hardship remind you of the good news of Jesus? And I want to say, if you're, if you're here today and you think, well, this doesn't really apply to me, Ben, because my life is pretty good right now. Um, read 1 Peter 1 this week, and he, sa- he, he says this. Uh, For a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All kinds. So, so you had a bad day. <laughs> there's, there's a trial and a, and a song lyric. <laughs> But it, all kinds of trials, there's, there's no exemption to this where, oh, this suffering, it's not big enough, it's not meaningful enough for God to use it. If you're in a bad mood and you feel discouraged one day, that's an opportunity to not live according to your flesh, but according to the spirit, to remind yourself what's really true. Arm yourselves with the same attitude. Whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. God, thank you. I would never choose this, but I trust you. Thank you for this opportunity. Help me make the most of it. As we are connected to our suffering, as Christ uses it to shape us, who we are is affected and therefore our witness to the world. Our witness to the world is affected. And so we can rightly redefine church, not as a place of certain clothes, but a people of a certain character. Because the church is for what? I asked this last week, and and now we've had enough silence. Now I want to hear from you. The church is for what? Yeah, say it. Say it with with some gusto. Say it like you mean it. There you go. The church is for, and discipleship is for. That's right. Good job. Discipleship is for the world. The church is for discipleship. So the best way we reach the world is, is, is very simple. It's very difficult, but it's very simple. We faithfully follow Jesus. As a teacher, as a stay-at-home mom, as an accountant, as a truck driver, as a politician, as a pastor, we follow Jesus and we are discipled by him. And that discipleship, it's, it's actually offered to the whole world. So it's, it's very helpful no matter what you do. It's, it's the most practical thing you can do. Jesus cares about your work, your family, your rest, your leisure. 
And, and he's got the good life. He will lead you into it. And as we are the church, because we are, if you're a born-again Christian, you, you are the church. You're meant to be the church. You're the world's picture of discipleship to Jesus. That was his idea, not mine. But don't worry. Again, all you have to do is focus on Jesus and walk together in community. Um, and, and we'll all mess up. <laughs> That's part of it. Repent and believe. That, that's how the gospel is our life on repeat. Repent and, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. So let's talk to God uh, about our suffering one more time. God, no matter how big or small uh, it feels to us, um, we're acknowledging this morning that you want to engage us in the middle of it. And we know also that this suffering is light and momentary, meaning it won't last forever. But there is an eternal weight of glory that outweighs all of our suffering in this room, all of our suffering in this life put together. Uh, Our hope is in you, Jesus. And you're with us now. So help us to live in this hope and not ignore suffering not run from it, but walk through it with you and with the people that you've placed around us. I pray that this church and every church, I do pray that uh, the world would see it as a place to come to learn how to suffer well. Um, Because we have hope. We have legitimate hope.